In this podcast, I sit down with a very good friend of mine, Brian Ganella, who I've known for well over a decade. Our friendship sprang from hanging out and talking politics. He's very articulate, very intelligent, and most of all, funny as hell. Even though we don't agree on everything, he's he's wonderful. He's very entertaining. Uh, he's one of my favorite people to talk politics with and argue and have a good time. Uh, you can check him out on Instagram. He's an artist based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at Brian Ganella is boring. He's also an activist doing a lot of righteous work with a certain political party in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And he even has a podcast called Everyone Sucks Here that is very entertaining, and I highly recommend you check it out. If you like this podcast, I'm sure you'll like his. Speaking of podcasts, let's get back to this one. So anyway, I sit down with him and I talk about something that is is going to be very weird to hear, and that thing is my theory that Trumpers, in the Rust Belt specifically, could actually become leftists. That's right. Chuds into leftists. And I know what you're thinking. They're all a bunch of fascists. And yeah, a lot of them are. But once again, not all of them are. Uh, We recorded this podcast days before the election, but then with everything that happened, it just didn't feel right to release it then. Now, a few days from the Thanksgiving holiday, a lot of you may be hopefully not sitting down with people, you know, Corona, but maybe having Zoom Zoom Thanksgivings, whatever, with relatives, probably some of whom, of for those of you that are listening, are Trump voters, especially if you're the type of person that would sit down and celebrate a holiday based on colonization and genocide. That's right, cancel Thanksgiving. Now, actually, I don't really give a shit about Thanksgiving, but I think we should focus more on the fact that it's a holiday to commemorate the ignorance of fucking pilgrims not knowing how to survive on the land that they colonized and needing the wisdom of the indigenous people to teach them their ways so that they wouldn't starve to death. Like a bunch of oblivious religious fanatics that had no clue how to survive or function. That's right. America was founded by religious fanatical cults, and therefore their genocides, well, can technically be considered occultic. True Detective Season 4, coming soon. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, it's about to be Thanksgiving, and you are not going to gather with a bunch of family and relatives who may have shitty political views, well, because of corona, but hypothetically, if you were to... You may sit at the table and think, I want to fucking punch this person in the face. (laughs) And if that is the case, it's important to learn the art of organizing. And the foundation of all political organizing is communication. And so, to be able to communicate effectively with someone, you have to learn how to size them up. You have to understand how that person sees the world. You got to figure out how to think like they think, so that way you can easily reframe their politics in a way that makes them realize, well, they've been deluded and that they should actually be leftists. Some may call it manipulation, but in reality, it's just power. And if people's political beliefs can be learned, well, they sure as hell can be unlearned. And so you're wondering, how the hell do I do that? 
Well, we're going to get into that in this podcast. And as I had mentioned, the very first thing you got to do is be able to size them up and figure out how they see the world and what their opinions are. So that way you can translate leftist thought to match their opinions. We have a lot of fun. Brian is super entertaining to talk to. We talk about everything from culture hegemony and false consciousness to class, hunting, turning a Reaganite into a Sanders supporter, Don Jr.'s stupid little bearded face, gator and snake-filled moats at the border, and Brian even uncovers my alleged CIA connections. All kinds of things. It's a great episode. I will, I will give you a heads up. We recorded this on location, not here at my studio. And so therefore, the audio isn't as great as I would like it to be. So I ask that you bear with it and understand that we did the very best we could uh, in the location, given the technology that we had. So this, this episode in particular, I lay out a bunch of beliefs that Rust Belt, particularly Rust Belt Trump voters have that actually can be reframed from a leftist perspective. I would like to do a second episode on how to specifically talk to that family member, coworker, acquaintance, person on the street that has a shitty outlook and believes in Donald Trump as their Lord and Savior. So without further ado, let's go to the show. When the moral fiber of the United States and the economy collapses under the pressure of competitive coexistence, it will be your responsibility, comrades, to purge the minds of the reactionary Americans. The anarchist seeks only ruin and destruction, and he rides a tidal wave of terror. I guess we're anarchists. You know, if the cops come, the cops come. You're listening to the Pages Against the Machine podcast. So, here in the Rust Belt, um, you have many communities that are completely decimated economically, all around us, places that used to be steel mills and mines that no longer exist, and therefore there are very few jobs, few and far between. You have the opiate crisis, you have a lot of depression, and overall a lot of despair. Yeah, I mean, we're in the middle of decay, you know, and and the Rust Belt, even in the name, is signifying that decay. You know, I, I live in Southern California, and then I come back here, and I see just two different Americas. Poverty out there looks a lot different in that poverty out there exists side by side. Some of the richest and wealthiest people on the entire planet, to be honest, you have multi-million dollar homes and, and here houses are worth. In California, you mean? Totally. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. And then here you have houses, you can buy houses for under $10,000 outside of Pittsburgh, like where I'm from. So given all of these issues that are related to the economic system we have of capitalism here in Western Pennsylvania, there's a lot of anger. And because there's a lot of anger, Donald Trump in particular has been very successful in tapping into that anger, then redirecting it towards scapegoats and towards immigrants and towards everything but the true problem, which is capitalism, the system itself. Originally in 2016, and even to this day, Trump talks about the system is rigged. Mm -hmm. And he talks about trade deals such as NAFTA being bad, which, of course, they are. And he continually focuses on unemployment. Mm. So as a Marxist, Mm. what would you like to say about that, about those issues facing people here in this part of the country and how he has appealed overall to them through their anger and misdirecting it? So Trump. Trump is a kind of like really uh, sort of unique historical phenomenon that I think like. 
100 years, 200 years from now, if we're in, like, a relatively chill place, historians are going to have a lot of fun, like, looking at this weird point in history. Like, he is, in a, in a much more unrefined and uneloquent way, is cultivating, like, almost like the Nazi concept of the Volk among his base. Like, he has a prescripted vision and ideal. He's not, it's not sincere, you know, because he's, he's a, a New totally. York... Uh, landlord, you know, he's uh, he's so disconnected from these populations uh, as anyone could be. If he was on the other side of the ticket, you know, they would just be labeling him an, uh, a coastal elite, you know. Uh, but he appeals to this, like, hodgepodge of sort of, like, nostalgic dog whistling and, like, the old specters that used to haunt, like, the American imagination throughout the Cold War period and, like, the, you know, the time of the Great Society and, like, the, the beginning of the war on drugs and all that. It's just, it's really just America's greatest hits of, like, of bullshit <laughs> racism and xenophobia. And he does that because, you know, Donald Trump is a fucking schmoozer, man. Like, he knows, if he knows anything, and this is where, like, people, like, shouldn't dismiss his political instincts altogether because, like, he knows how to read a room to a certain extent. Absolutely. He can walk into a crowd and just sort of, like, riff and that's really all he does is just riff i watch a lot of of a lot of his rallies and the guys talking about stupid shit yeah like uh the one-time dishwashing machines yeah he he hugged a flag yeah (laughs) like he physically embraced an american flag at like cpac or something that's that's the album cover of his greatest hits album it could be an album cover to a lot of things like that's the you know that's the kind of imagery that this dude produces i think ronald reagan really understood spectacle i mean he was from hollywood yeah but trump understands it and and manipulates it and uses his power in a whole different way trump understands reality tv Yep. Like, that's the difference between Hollywood, Ronald Reagan, and Trump. It's, it's the difference between <laughs> exactly. a Hollywood production and reality TV. Old Ronnie had lines to say, yeah. and they were handed to him, whereas Trump talks shit performs. and stirs up controversy. He throws, <laughs> he throws the fucking wine in your face. Like, that's his whole shebang. And, and like, middle America, they, you know, they fucking love reality TV, so they eat this shit up. And they've also been primed to enjoy this guy for a while because he was a reality TV show star. And he's been, like, a wrestling heel on WWE. Like, in a lot of ways, Trump is tapped into, like, the American zeitgeist totally. uh, in a way that no politician before him or probably after him ever will be. I feel like he embodies the id of the American a lot of, yeah. consciousness. A lot of, a lot of people do say that, uh, that he is sort of like this American id. I don't, I think that's somewhat accurate. I don't know if I buy it completely, though. So, you know, you touched upon something that I, I think is absolutely true and fascinating, and that's that paradox where he is some rich guy that's never done manual labor in his life, and he sells himself as some working-class hero. Mm-hmm. I watched... A couple of weeks ago, I watched a rally in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, where his one of his dumbass sons, the, the uh, Don Jr. Yeah, you know he was he was talking. He's my, he's my least favorite. I think <laughs> I hate that guy so much. I hate his dumb little face, and he yeah. grew a beard to try and look, you he know, they more have, blue all have, collar. They all have like no chins. <laughs> it's just it just goes from mouth to neck. Exactly, and yeah. they always walk around with the chin all high, acting like. You yeah, know, you, shouldn't, shouldn't trust, you shouldn't trust him. Great a weak, people, a weak chin. So this fucking guy yeah. is standing there, you know, in Johnson, Pennsylvania, a Rust Belt, blue collar city, talking about how really trying to sell his creds as some blue collar hero, some type of worker, working man, 
and he's talking about when he was young, his dad told him that if you are to understand how to be a builder and everything, then you need to go learn how to work with the crews and the labor in laying the foundation. The whole time I'm just thinking like, this is, this is just, just absurd pandering. Like, I don't think anyone even here believes it, but once again, we've moved, they've, the people that support Trump have moved so far away from reality that they don't care about a lot of stuff because they're so angry. They've, They've moved away from reality, like in a in a certain like um, objective objective sense of like looking at what's in front of them and analyzing it honestly. But they are they are expressing a sort of like reality of American social programming where they do think that like wealth is a sort of like indicator of like intelligence or ingenuity Absolutely. or even like strength, like in, in yeah. like a fucking like really base kind of way. Um, the and that, CEO no, like mythology. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I think that like that's a really like perfect expression of like that kind of capitalist conditioning is just being like, this guy has a billion dollars, so he's qualified to run the country. Like that's really the ultimate like sort of like Entirely. capitalist mindset. When you live in a, in a in a like a bourgeois capitalist society, like your values are the values of the bourgeoisie. Like they own the uh, superstructure. Like all of the all of the entities that are like sort of responsible for shaping uh, our culture, our society, like what we think is normal. Like though, like ac- you know, academics, like the newspaper, the, the mainstream media, Hollywood, like even just the means of production that make the food and the toys that our kids play with. They're all owned by this class. So they inject their value system into it. And then as we, which the working class is what we consider the base, as we consume this sort of like value set, like we internalize it and we think that it's our own. I love that you just said that a value system that is not our own is injected into us. And that segues into something I want to talk about and you know a lot about, Mm. which is the idea of cultural hegemony, and false consciousness. So for our listeners, do you want to talk a little bit about that and elaborate upon that? Uh, yeah, I mean, so uh, the idea of cultural hegemony and, like, false consciousness, I mean, false consciousness was described by, like, Engels and Marx, but the it wasn't really, like, extrapolated into, like, a, a, a sort of, like, developed theory until uh, Antonio Gramsci, who was the head of the Italian Communist Party in the 1920s. Um, he was jailed by the fascist government Mussolini, but he got a lot of his writings out, uh, which were compiled in what is now known as the prison notebook. He sort of s- sought to resolve this sort of like contradiction in, in Marxist theory pre-Gramsci, where you, they couldn't really answer why the proletariat like wouldn't just automatically realize that they were exploited yes. and like rise up and like uh, you know overthrow the bourgeoisie. Uh, and his theory is, is what I just described earlier is that like the the cultural mechanisms of a society are owned by the bourgeoisie. So the bourgeoisie have an invested interest to make sure that that uh, society that those mechanisms create reflects their values and their interests. So like they're not going to, you know, uh, widely publish and distribute like revolutionary texts. They're not yes. going to make sure that their movies have radical content. They're going to make sure that, you know, uh, the right voices are heard on the radio or on news or whatever. Like, anything that represents an existential threat, they're not going to embrace. Exactly, and that's why you see endless shows and movies about cops, you know, the righteous oh, yeah. cop out there. Yeah, it's yeah. Continual, continual programming and believing and adopting ideas and an ideal system 
that just reflect, as you said, those of the bourgeoisie. Mm -hmm. In case there are some listeners that are unfamiliar with the term the bourgeoisie, can you just clarify and touch Um, upon that? Yeah, so bourgeoisie is kind of like a catch-all term for Marxists now. Uh, Like, it used to refer to a specific, like, middle class of merchants during the French Revolution. That's the historical uh, origin of it. But now it just kind of is a term for the capitalist class, which is, like, the, you know, the billionaires and the trillionaires and, like, the people who own, like, the... uh, the majority of the wealth uh, on the planet. Now, segueing back into what this episode is about, we're going to address a few positions that we leftists, by and large, share that a lot of these Rust Belt working class voters actually would advocate if they were presented to them in a way that they could actually hear. Because, you know, the whole idea of false consciousness and cultural hegemony, we must understand that these people are programmed. And therefore, we need to deprogram them if we are to have a mass movement, a big tent movement, which is really the only thing that will give us power to actually change the world and change things for the better and bring about economic restructuring. I believe that we can reach these people if we actually listen to them, but then educate them, hey, your job didn't go away because Chinese people came here and took it. Your job went away because you were sold out by the rich and the corporations who then took jobs overseas to exploit people that could exploit even more than you. Yeah. And so really working to educate people. Every working class American understands the language of I fucking hate my boss. <laughs> like every single one. Point number one. Yeah. And then like, I, I actually, my maybe my one like, Greatest dialectical achievements was I convinced this fucking tile layer in uh, Mason, Ohio, to register as a Democrat so he could vote for Bernie Sanders in the primary instead of voting for Trump. Nice. Like, but I did, and I did that by kind of talking to him about his material situation and like what has changed since he sort of participated in politics. So like he he said his first vote in was like the one that he was excited about was Reagan. I was like, all right, perfect. Uh, you know, these tax cuts are essentially what, like, Reagan did back in the 80s. I'm like, let me ask you something. Did that wealth trickle down? And he was like, no. And I was like, <laughs> did, you know, everything up, everything else in your cost of living go up? And he was like, yeah. I'm like, are, have you become any less productive than you were in the 80s? He's like, no, I'm working harder than I've ever been. And I was just like, yeah, well, maybe that, because that's bullshit. Yep. Uh, and he like thought about it. And like over the course of the job, we would like just have little tiny conversations. And it took maybe about like five days. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I looked at, I looked at Bernie Sanders' website and, you know, I think that I, I agree with all that. And then he's like, I think we'll vote for him. And like, that was it. And like, like, this dude was not a racist. Like he was working like side by side. Oh, I mean, you know, I'm sure he had like racist conditioning. Like yes. we all fucking do. But he like, he had no like visible animosity or discomfort, like being around his black coworkers. Like, or expressed Tyler. vocal prejudice. Yeah, or yeah. expressed any kind of vocal prejudice. He just thought the tax cuts were going to give him more money. Totally. And that he was going to be able to find a job. And that he had this, also this sort of like sane belief uh, that a lot of Americans hold that if the the quote unquote like magic entity that is the economy, if that's yeah. healthy, then he's healthy. But that exactly. I mean, like we're not a, like the working class people are not affected by, by how healthy the stock market is. We have no we have no stake in it's exactly. just a casino for billionaires. It's just the same people watching professional sports. Yes, yeah. you're rooting for a team. But the points don't really benefit you. When your team wins, you get to celebrate. Yeah. But in reality, 
you're not you're not truly benefiting from any of that. The players are the ones that are benefiting because they're going to get a higher salary and that type of thing. Right. And a lot of times, you know, especially in the city of Pittsburgh, your tax dollars are funding yeah. the so, NFL to build stadiums oh, and all yeah, this yeah, type yeah, of yeah, shit. Yeah. So literally their hand is in the piggy bank of the general public yeah. taking stuff out and you get to celebrate a little bit when, you know, Pittsburgh's up. That so whole... These- yeah, so the, just the, the general topic of this yes. pod, like these these uh, Rust Belt Trump voters, like, and I'm not there. There's like I want to make a real big distinction between like um, these sort of like working class, like non really like politically aware sort of like voters, and then I want to make a distinction between like the petite like bourgeoisie like. Uh, Tallahassee, Florida, like jet ski salesmen yes. that like vote for Trump, yep. who are a okay with mm-hmm. everything because they see it as a path to their own personal wealth, uh, and like those are the people who are like really the fucking fascist core of Trump's base, and like the like the dummy like the people that voted for Obama twice yes. and then flipped to Trump, like that is not because they suddenly were like oh yeah. I'm, I decided I'm a racist now. Mm-hmm. I really fucking hate all these people. It was because, like, they responded to the 08 financial crisis in which, like, they probably, like, lost a lot and, like, were personally affected by, like, all kinds of foreclosures and, like, businesses going out and all that kind of shit. And Obama came in and he was like, we're going to fix this. We're going to offer, like, a new system. It's going to be a new deal, a new day in America. Change. Kind of change. change. Hope and change. And they, they bought it two cycles in a row and he didn't deliver and then Trump came around and said the same thing. And maybe, uh, you know, I don't know why his message maybe resonated more than Bernie's. I don't, we can't say because we didn't, we never got to see that context. No. Right. But I do know a lot of like those guys who are like, yeah, is he Bernie or Trump? Like, well, I went back uh, years ago and I looked at all of the primary record um, for the, the primary election yeah. in Cambria County and all these Western like the independents. counties. Exactly. And Bernie crushed Hillary. Yeah. He crushed Hillary in all of all of these Trump. counties. He crushed Trump too. Oh, absolutely. Like because I mean, Bernie has a more like concrete message about what to do about that stuff, which exactly. like people would hear and like you know if they have common sense, like they can. The get Democrats behind it. don't offer any solid yeah, platform or main, vision. Mainstream Democrats offer literally nothing, and like Trump, Trump this go round is offering literally nothing because yeah. like we've had four years of of seeing what his bullshit is all about, and like the people who are like convicted for him now. Now, uh, are like true believers and they're not going anywhere. But I do think that he's lost a lot of that like apolitical block. Whether or not they're enthusiastic enough to vote for Biden is another question. I think it's probably more likely that they're just ready to check out of the political process again exactly. and just not vote. And that that is exactly the reason why I'm doing this podcast. I This podcast isn't to convince Trumpers to vote for Joe Biden. It's convincing them to, hey, you need to just not vote yeah. because and your wild. vote is making things worse and it's making, it's hurting you more and you need to come actually to the real left and not, you know, this fictitious oh. right wing democratic. Yeah. My point of view on left. this podcast is to teach uh, chauvinistic white leftists how to talk to their own people and bring them <laughs> and bring them back on board. Yeah. I love how you phrase that. I, yeah. I think that is, that is absolutely great. So yes, point number one, Connect Americans about the hatred of the boss. We yeah. all dislike bosses. So it's, it's antithetical to American culture. We don't like being told what to do, so we don't like our boss. Number two, a great way to reach somebody that has supported Trump is by 
talking to them and confirming that, yeah, the system is indeed rigged because Trump, early in 2016, he was always talking about the system is rigged and I alone can save and fix it for you. So he was acknowledging. Drain drain the swamp. Absolutely. And, And that is something that will never be drained because the nature of capitalism creates, just creates a rigged system. And it perpetuates the idea of this swamp. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, let's put it even, like, simpler. Capitalism is, like, the in, in its core essence, the consolidation of wealth. Wealth is power. So when you consolidate wealth, you consolidate power. And if you have a consolidation of both, then you're able to, to sort of, like, mitigate uh, the damage that any sort of, like, political or, or, or like, social threat that might come your way can do. Capitalism, the original pyramid scheme. Okay, so let's move on to point number three, that politicians are corrupt. How many of these points are there? We have right now about 13 points. <laughs> so keep it short-winded. We got yeah, right. to well, move. Everybody, everybody and their goddamn mother knows that a politician is corrupt. Like, if you go and ask anyone, like, Jay Leno, man on the street style, it's like, hey, do you trust politicians? They're going to say no. So, like, just move on from that one. <laughs> you do not even have to don't, explore that. Everybody knows... Go. That you can approach Trump people with. Yeah. Hey, politicians are corrupt. Yeah. Number four moves into addressing politicians, but in a way that Trumpers will particularly be receptive to. And that is liberals have failed. You gotta yeah, you gotta dunk on the libs. Like you gotta if Trash you wanna talk libs. to them, you gotta earn their trust and uh, let them know that you're not just gonna go out there and stump for Obama or Nancy Pelosi or something like exactly. that. Exactly. You know, something very interesting with Trump voters is when you criticize Trump, they instantly go into, well, Obama did it. Obama yeah. built the cages. And yeah. it's like, yeah, he did. And they're yeah. not expecting to hear no, that. they're not. They're expecting a defense from a delusional liberal uh, counterpart to tell you why Obama didn't actually build the cages. Or he actually wanted to just put puppies in there or something like that, you know. Uh, but it's all bullshit. Like, you got to acknowledge that, like, yeah, Obama is fucking shit, like. You know, Google, totally. Google, strikes. Google Obama ninety percent. That's all I guess. I do not. Have, if you do, have, we do we do not advocate Google on this show. We only advocate Ask Jeeves. No, Google it. I don't know if Ask Jeeves exists anymore. Google Obama ninety percent. That's it. Okay. We'll you heard it from him. I have yeah. no idea what that is. He doesn't. You'll Google it later. I'll it's Google it up. later. I'm sure a lot of you listeners know yeah, about what they should. If they're, on the left, 90%. If they're on left Twitter. They will. Left Twitter. Cat might. What's up, Kat? <laughs> <laughs> Comrade Katarina, hopefully you're listening yeah. uh, to this podcast. She, she doesn't listen to mine either. It's hard that Dutch to listen to this one. All right, keep going. Okay, we got to keep going on here. <laughs> so, yes, and just to elaborate a little more on that, the whole neoliberal third wayism, which all of the Democrats adopted post Reagan, which is a reconciliation of free markets with a very small, limited scaled back welfare state as being the true answer. Clintonism. Exactly. Clintonism. And then Obama, Obama ism. Yeah. Obama is sort of like just a variant like style of Clintonism for the most part. Except, except he, in a way that Bill Clinton never was, uh, was much more willing to like, uh, feign a, a sort of like interest in progressive politics and progressive values like bill clinton's whole campaign was to appeal to like single voter issues yes you know like like uh single parent like households and like soccer moms and totally stuff like that but obama's was really about like 
uh, advocating for like structural change, like something totally something's really wrong with America, and like we got to fix that. And Clinton, like, Trump you know, is, Trump's a lot of ways are like he's a he's the right version of Obama in that kind of sense. You heard it here first. Sorry, everybody, but in terms of candidate messaging, they both promised like wide systemic change from like uh, you know just from whatever angle that they were approaching it from, and they both delivered a jack shit. So we're moving on to another way to reach Trumpers in the Rust Belt. What number? Can we not call them Trumpers? Trumpists. 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 <laughs> Maga chuds. The chuds. <laughs> Maga chugs. Yeah, let's just call them the chuds. The chuds. Okay. Yeah, gotta reach the. This chuds. is counterproductive because we can't. Is it worse than Trumpers? Sorry. <laughs> the Trumpers is fine. <laughs> okay. NAFTA. Number five, NAFTA. The North American Free Trade Agreement. Exactly, not to be confused with NAMBLA. Which is something that Amir likes. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Uh, Jeffrey Epstein. I told you that was one thing we were not going to address on here. Yeah, my involvement. Amir's CIA connections. (laughs) Which, by default, mine are my connections as well. (laughs) If I spoke Kurdish and I was in the military, I guarantee they they would... you know, probably as a, as an ML, like you out out here advocating for Syria a little too hard. And <laughs> was this Central Intelligence AZ asset talking to me all about? Right. Uh, okay, NAFTA. <laughs> we were just talking about Bill Clinton. Yeah, and you know, I was I was a I was a youngin back then. Mm-hmm. I was youngin when Clinton first won <laughs> political office, and as your he won the presidency. Yeah, when he, put, when he did the saxophone solo in Arsenio Hall. Yes. Remember that? Yep. I remember that. I do remember that. But I also remember my grandfather, who was a president of his labor union, you know, still worker Mm -hmm. the majority of his life. He continually talked about how NAFTA was the nail in the coffin of the American worker. Because you had Reagan that came through, deregulate, deregulate, fire all of the airline unions or, you know, workers and... You saw in the 80s the vast decline of American steel. A lot of the workers who are Trump voters now in that area, they lost all of their pensions. They lost all of that stuff because Bethlehem still just totally packed their bags up and and by and large left. And everything that they had been paying into and all of all of that security was taken from them. Mm-hmm. And this happened to so many people in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And then you have Bill Clinton who runs on, you know, this idea of welfare reform and stuff, but making it better. He comes in and then he just does the exact opposite. He just starts cutting, cutting, cutting. Once again, just force austerity. He kept, uh, what's his face? Alan Greenspan. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And there's, there is, you know, there's so much animosity in that area towards NAFTA that even as a young and I, you know, I don't even remember five, six, seven, eight years old, whatever. I remember my grandfather talking and railing against NAFTA. He was always a Democratic loyalist because, you know, he was an FDR New Deal Democrat, which the majority of, you know, people even today still think loyalists. They think that the Democrats actually. They like, they, yeah, the Democrats like to hearken back to that uh, New Deal Democratic administration, like when it's convenient. Uh, you know, for their image or whatever. The thing that's interesting is I feel that we are seeing once again another inversion where the Republican Party that was always the party of the entrepreneur, the businessman, the corporations, the wealthy is now through the manipulation of religious 
values and social conservatism, they are redefining themselves as the party of the working person. And that's part of Trump's appeal. Well, let's be clear. They're defining themselves as the party of the working white person. Yes. Uh, I like, stand corrected. Yeah. Like, that, that's a big shift. Because, like, the Republican uh, tent, so to speak, in, like, the, the 70s and stuff, especially, like, during the Nixon era, like, it was... They, I mean, they kind of relied on a broader coalition. Like, they were prominent, like, uh, like black um, conservative social philosophers that people still quote to this day. And, like, the best we have now is, like, Candace Owens, who's, like, clearly, like, a grifter. Uh, yeah. And, like, that kind of shit, you know? Like, but, yeah, the, the image of the Republican Party is, I mean, they're, I don't know, man. They're, like, they have a lot of balls in the air that they're juggling right now. Because, like, on one side, there's just, like, that corporate, like, slick, deregulated, like, neocon uh, sort of, like, Republican. And then there's, like, the, I grew up in a homogenous white town and it's all I've ever known yeah. and I want my coal job back Republican. And then and then there's, like, the, like the white nationalist sort of Republican who sees an opportunity uh, within, like, the Trump administration through, just, like, strategic placements for people like Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon <laughs> to, like, you know, enter that ideology, like, in... I mean, let's be real. It already existed within the American government, but they're, like, pushing it down a little further. And then there's just, like, opportunist war hawks. It's really just, like... Like I said, it's, like, it, it's a... It's a real motley crew of a bunch of fucking neocon rejects from the last four <laughs> administrations. Like, Elliot Abrams reappeared in the Trump administration for a hot second. As, like, the special advisor to, like, how to do a coup in Venezuela. Oh, yeah. Yeah. More and more is continually coming out about yeah. that coup. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was, like, the first one. Like, yeah. When they were trying to, like, get, like, uh, a bunch of people to cross the border from Colombia at the same time to, like, destabilize it. But, like, Elliot Abrams is, like, Iran-Contra dude. Like, if, you know, the fact that he reappeared this late in the show, yeah. it's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at uh, Oliver North being one of the head leaders of the NRA, and then you have Elliot Abrams. And, like, Mike Pompeo is, the, oh, you know, man. went from went from some <laughs> shithead, like, religious right, what was he from, like, Indiana? Like, state, no state representative or something like that. And then he, he was able to... Just sort of like cozy up to Trump to kickstart his career into the intelligence and like defense community by becoming like the head of the CIA and now the fucking secretary of state. <laughs> yeah, it is a big problem that we have so many dumbasses and well, criminals. We have continuing. one dumbass, <laughs> one dumbass who just sort of allows all of these like horrible sharks and snakes to like maneuver around him and like you know, basically, like, manipulate them to push their own agenda. But it is a divided agenda. So don't, there's also the QAnon Don't forget, <laughs> don't forget, if you talk to somebody <laughs> prior to the election that's a Trumper, remember to remind them that Donard, Donald Trump... Donard. Donard. <laughs> Donard, Donard. Donard Party Trump. Yeah, Donard. Cannibalizing yeah. his voters. Yeah. yeah. Remind can them. Can I just say that I love this, like... Uh, these last couple rallies that he's had where he like has this big crowd out on like he comes park. out to macho man no, that's not even the point like I'm talking about he has these huge crowds on like these air mac or like airport tarmac yeah. and shit and then when the rally is done he just leaves he them there abandons <laughs> like, them no shuttles no nothing to freeze in the middle of a pandemic yeah, like elderly people had to go to the hospital for like hypothermia uh, <laughs> and they just like they just all wander off like a crowd of zombies from this like Trump rally into, into the night never forget 
Okay. I think he's doing that because he wants to lose. Never forget. You got you, you to figure like a couple. Seriously. Like, I, I don't want to believe that they're that indoctrinated, that yeah. doing that, like stranding my, if, if I was out there, like not super enthusiastic about Trump, but just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to vote for him because I'm going to. I don't know, piss off my cousin or yeah. something like that. And then that asshole left me to do like a seven hour walk from like 11, 11 p.m. at night to like four in the morning through the freezing cold. I wouldn't want to vote for that motherfucker. In their minds, they're probably thinking, well, you know, this is, you know, the liberals somehow fucked up the yeah, birth schedule. It, yeah, and, it's the yeah. liberals who they'll, did it or they'll something like that. <laughs> they'll be like, yeah, actually, like, actually the uh, the chauffeur company was run by a Democrat. Yeah. So that's why, we, that's why we were stranded and my grandmother died. It's, you know, it's the spectacle. Like, Donald Trump is the spectacle. And now he is, he's just the epitome of the progression <laughs> of the idea of this society, the spectacle of, of politics mm. fully becoming a charade. Yeah. Just the idea that Donald Trump's doing shit he's for our, them. They know he's not. Yeah, he's our very first um, wrestling heel uh, president. <laughs> like, he's the guy that you don't like to like, and then there's always a good constituent of contrarian assholes that love him. Stone Cold, uh, Steve Austin, 316. Yeah. He's an American hero because he gave that motherfucker he a did. stunner. And that's what, if you're listening, Stone Cold... Yeah, thank you for your service. Like, uh, <laughs> this is a... That's Texas my, rattlesnake. That's my favorite um, little, like, presidential fun fact about Trump is that we elected the first president to ever hold office who's received a Stone Cold Stunner. <laughs> <laughs> and survived. Yeah. Stone Cold, apparently, like, he supports gay marriage and stuff. He's, oh, yeah. Uh, like, he's Stone, not... Stone Cold is a liberal crusader, man. He's, like, <laughs> he's like uh, trying to turn Texas blue all by himself. One, Didn't he always have a... yard time. He had a rivalry against Vince McMahon, who was a big Trumper. Yeah. Yeah. Vince so. McMahon... Mm, Stone maybe Cold. not Vince, but... Fighting Vince's for justice. Wife actually has a position in the Trump administration. I forget what her title is. <laughs> Linda McMahon actually holds... <laughs> Holds a position. In the, uh, I'm maybe not, not surprised. the cabinet, but something. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Just never forget that Donald Trump at one point suggested creating a moat on the border with Mexico and filling them with snakes and alligators. I mean, that's awesome. It, it is. It's, it's awesome. I mean, it's... <laughs> like, the fact that that even came out of uh, an official's <laughs> brain and that people were like, yeah! <laughs> like that, I mean, that's just like awesome in the sense of like, yeah, we really are going to be idiocracy. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I remember watching that movie in what? the aughts and being like, yeah, this is so dumb. I don't even like it. But now I'm just like, it was a documentary. You know, yeah. people say the matrix was a documentary. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think idiocracy is yeah, becoming, reason. but I mean, that's not very, that's not very, uh, that's not very good revolutionary. Output. We need to be. I'm gonna quit that. We need I to be faithful. These, yeah, I believe that these people can be reached, and I believe that they're being educated, and that uh, it's the uh, false consciousness yeah. and the hegemony no, that I we mean, spoke yeah. about. I mean, like it is the responsibility of white leftists to be out in these communities, like talking to these people. We can't just like if you're part of a vanguard party, like you can't just abandon them to their shitty opinions. So we're gonna move on to every Trumper's favorite slogan, oh. which is number. The news is fake. Oh, fake news. Lying press. You got to tell them the news is fake. Yeah. CNN is fake news. Yeah. But so is Fox News. It's all fake news. It's, it's like, all. you know, it's it's capitalist news. It goes back capitalist to that, news. that idea of cultural hegemony and like the news, like the printed news, television news is all very much part of what we call the superstructure. And that shapes the values, uh, perceptions of reality, the understanding of reality of a society. They tell you how to think. 100%. I don't like cho- I don't like 
quoting Chomsky, but like uh, manufactured consent, that's what it is. Like they manufacture consent. Well, you don't like Uncle Chomsky, so I don't want to address that. We have a limited amount of time here. We'll save that for a different episode to hear your criticisms of the old man in Cambridge. So okay. you say Cambridge? I'll, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll just give you it right now. I want you to imagine Chomsky's entire career and tell me when he didn't advocate for something other than voting for the lesser of two evils. Uh, you know, some, sometimes it's, we, it's have to, totally we have to vote. irresponsible. I don't think he knows that on the last podcast I advocated for doing the same thing. I don't. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't let him know that, so <laughs> just just understand that. All right, whatever. <laughs> his views necessarily aren't mine and mine aren't his. So we're going to move on. We're going to speed this up a little bit. Number seven, guns. The oh, real yes. left, by and large, yeah, we're, we're for guns. But you understand <laughs> that... For the bourgeois to have all the weaponry, well, that's probably not the best idea, especially when there's a militarized police. I'm not a boogaloo or anything like that, but I grew up in Western PA, and yeah. this blows people's minds. We had a rifle range in my middle school, and we'd go shoot 22s, yeah. bolt action 22s after school. We had a rifle team. We had, you know, we would get off first day of hunting season. In the Rust Belt, hunting is such a big part of the culture yeah. that. So many times in my life, I remember rewind to Bush Gore, a, a guy that used to take me hunting. He would say, well, I'd vote for Gore, but he'll take our guns away. So I guess I have to vote for Bush. And that's something that you hear so often, aside from the old idea of gun ownership that, that people, I think, by and large, outside the Rust Belt don't understand, is that guns are financial assets. Like there are a lot of impoverished people in Appalachia where guns are their stocks. When they get a DUI and they need bailed out, they sell a firearm. Hmm. Like this is, I know, you know, a lot of my friends, this is the story of their family. When you own guns, guns usually retain their value. So when you inherit your parents or your brothers or whatever's weapons, those things are worth hundreds, if not a thousand or two thousand dollars that is that is a form of wealth. Like that is that is Appalachian currency. Oh, literally, I can tell you a story about this. I was uh, going, taking a vacation with a girl I was seeing at the time, and we got a flat tire on my truck, uh, stuck at like the bottom of a holler in, near New River. Holler. Yeah, New River Gorge, and we had to get towed out of there. Kentucky? And, nah, West Virginia. Oh, okay. And um, the dude, extremely nice hillbilly. Yep. Wonderful person. Uh, towed us out of there, and he was just like you know talking stories and like swapping shit and stuff. And uh, he he told me this story about how he had to confiscate this kind of like uh, pretty nice like it was an old truck that was fixed up right yeah. and he had to confiscate it because it was like abandoned or like um, something like that parked illegally wherever uh, or like had had like uh, outstanding parking tickets and like a lot it was gonna be impounded yeah. basically right so like he was hauling it uh, back to his his lot and he got a call from the owner of the truck. Uh, asking him like how much the impound fee was and all that kind of shit. And it was like a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. And the guy was just like, all right, open the trunk. And he opened the trunk and there was just like a whole bunch of fucking assault rifles in there. And he was like, take two and sell them. And he's like, that'll cover it. <laughs> and like that was, and then the dude came back like maybe a week later and got his truck, but it was all paid off and like they, they couldn't do anything with it. So these things are assets. They're worth money. Yeah. So when all these Democrats are like, we're going to get rid of it, these people think, oh no, our, our actual assets are threatened. If you can explain to them, hey, us real leftists, we want you to have your guns. We want you to keep your guns as long as you're leftists. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's a <laughs> little caveat that's there. That's a key component <laughs> is I don't want, I don't want like a near fast or a fast adjacent person to be well-armed or at least more well-armed <laughs> than me. Totally. Uh, but yeah, I mean like the idea that we want to take people, like the liberals want to take people's guns, like uh, all that kind of shit. Like that's, uh, I've never really thought about it in the terms that you just put it, but that's like a really good point too. Like there actually is like a currency value to these things. Uh, my impression with guns has always been uh, it's correlated to their anxiety about who has guns and who doesn't, right? The, the conservative people are scared that the criminals and the thugs have all the guns and that maybe the police won't be able to get there in time and, and you know something tragic will happen to their family. Liberals who are scared think that like nothing but like uh, neo-Nazis or like horrible fucking like react- mass shooters mass shooters have yeah. guns and that's why they need to be taken away. Uh, and then there's like the militia types who believe that they're going to like resist the U.S. military, which is just wrong. But like really what's accurate is like guns in the hands of civilians will keep the police from fucking with you. Uh, and we've seen that over and over again this summer with all of the very well-armed and large mobs of uh, black folks uh, in places like Georgia uh, and um, where's the other one? Stone Louis? Mountain. No, yeah. well, I think yeah, I think they did. They had a big a group, march a group, there. Big, I, I like, don't know what that, the report is. Uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, after a police shooting down there, and Louisville after you know, in the ongoing like strife after the Breonna Taylor verdict. Like those groups, and historically speaking, the Black Panthers too. Oh, were the reasons California's like, gun laws. Yeah, were the reasons gun laws were invented. Over so, Ronnie like, Reagan. So what it is is like who is it, the gun control issue? In my opinion, at least, is just this big fucking argument about who should have guns and who gets to participate in that sort of like monopoly of force. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I could, we could dive into, you know, the Black Panthers and gun control and that whole fascinating history, but we're going to keep moving on here. So we're going to go into our next point that the whole democratic Republican paradigm, this is after you started to make some inroads, it's all manufactured. In reality, we're all working class we're yeah. all poor. We all have the same struggles. Yeah. And so... Well, not not the exact same, but, uh, yeah, like... Very true. You know, there, it's... it's um, How can I... What's a good analogy? It's ice... It's, it's... There's different flavors of ice cream, but it's all ice cream, baby. Like, it's all... It's all, you know, frozen milk. Like, <laughs> whether it's got... Whether it's got... It's chocolate or it's got strawberries in it or, like, you know, this is what the difference between, like, what Marxist Leninists would call, like, regular, like capitalist oppression and then the uh the different qualities of like special oppression that exist in a capitalist um we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna move on to number i don't even know what number it is forget about the numbers uh we're gonna move to okay so this is i don't even know if this is a point this is just something that just drives me insane Mm -hmm. is all of these dumbasses from joe rogan to ben shapiro just this whole idea that leftists don't want to work or that they're averse to work and the complete irony is lost on them but the reality is is the majority of a lot of leftist political thought stems from the analysis of the worker the working class i mean if you're the soviet union is workers councils that's Mm. you know that's the translation it's all about work well workers rights workers empowerment i might might have maybe a a sort of like historical materialist explanation do tell so one i think you can both agree that like in the in the 
probably even starting in the 60s and then throughout like the 70s and 80s and 90s, there was a staunch bend towards like anti-intellectual attitude in the United States. Anti-intellectualism is, yeah. is just ingrained well, in that, America. That, intellect, that anti-intellectual bent is, uh, is anti-communism at work. Because, uh, like, the, I mean, when, and you still see this trope touted out today where they say, like, universities and colleges are, like, Marxist hotbeds. Like, in the reality today, that's not, that's not fucking true at all. But in, maybe in the reality of the 60s, it was a little bit different because a lot of student movements were ahead of the anti-Vietnam War. Oh, totally. And were, like, you know, part of, like, the, that sort of, like, radical coalition that the Blank Panthers and the Young Lords and, like, the SDS were all a part of. Uh, and, like... That any anti-intellectual attitude is a way of sort of like dissuading people or distrusting, uh, dis- dissuading people from trusting people that advocate for socialism and Marxism if they're coming from intellectual backgrounds, which is where a lot of American socialists are coming from. Because you know, typically speaking, they uh, you know they have a they come from an upper middle class background or a middle class background, or maybe they were just boomers when college was like you know four hundred dollars <laughs> a semester. Uh, but they re- they you have that. You can't read theory and and like understand that shit if you got to work eighty hours a week. Like you 100%. can, but you're unlikely to because you'll be fucking tired and pissed off. And because we're running out of time, I'm gonna make one last point here that you can connect with you know rural Trump voters on, and that is the environment. For years in Western Pennsylvania, I worked for an environmental organization, canvassing and organizing environmental justice campaigns yeah. here in Western PA, and. All of these, all of these voters in the Rust Belt that lean towards Trump tend often to be hunters. Like I said, we got off school for the first day of hunting season for, for Buck. You know, obviously a lot of you listeners maybe are animal rights activists and are against hunting. <laughs> However, there is common yes, ground. Just for cat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you got, got. I'm gonna. I'm excited that you continue to keep referring to her. So hopefully, I can get her on the show. <laughs> if you're listening, Cat, <laughs> my audience is probably very curious as to who you are, the Enigma. <laughs> so yes, there is a way that you know a lot of Trump voters in the Rust Belt actually care about the environment, the paradigm. They can't see past the idea of just a dichotomy, whereas if you stand up for the environment, that means you're going to lose jobs. So in reality, that is something very, very important and and prevalent here in Western Pennsylvania is so many working class white voters. They see Joe Biden talking about getting rid of coal and everything, which is great. But then they think, hey, I'm lucky enough to have a job and that it's going to directly affect me and I'm going yeah. to be homeless. So you you, we re, you really need to approach them with nuance when you talk to them about the environment and explain that the government needs to step in and continually re, you know, re, offer retraining programs for that benefits to help teach the people that work yeah. in the mines and the stone yeah, mills yeah, yeah. technology and sustainable so they can get jobs and sustainable. Yeah. Job placement and re-education has obviously got to be a component with, uh, when you're talking about like, uh, transitioning away from the fossil fuel economy and replacing those industries with a, a self-sustainable one. But like, this is where, uh, a Marxist Leninist state would come in, come into play. Right. Uh, and this was like where that kind of like what in the West we always scream, as like an authoritarian example of state power would actually be kind of beneficial for the the good of the planet is like 
all of those like Exxon Mobil funded like think tanks, those Koch brothers fucking think tanks that spit out all of that like pseudoscience to like muddy the waters up on climate change and like create this rhetorical space for people to argue against it as either a not real thing or like an over exaggerated threat. Those people need to go to jail. A gulag? A gulag. A gulag. Yeah. Spoken like a true ML. I'm serious, man. Like what? Like any listener here, if you guys want to go ahead and talk amongst yourselves and and (laughs) tell me what good those people serve and why they should not be in jail when they know that that science is misleading, they know that they're cooking the books, and they know that they're doing it for the benefit of uh, the fossil fuel industry's profit margin, why do they not deserve to be in jail? Answer that question, Amir, right now. Why do they not deserve to be in jail? I don't know. Exactly. I don't. I don't have. <laughs> you don't have. A, they, you yes, don't have a good answer deserve, for it. However, I'm. You know, I don't want to advocate. No, Mir loves authoritarianism. Mir loves jails. He loves them. He was telling me before we recorded. He was like, "Hey, don't talk about how I love jails." But you know what? It's out of the bag now. <laughs> I actually love detention facilities. That's what we in the CIA refer to them as. Yeah, yeah, uh, black sites. <laughs> but black sites. <laughs> yeah. I like to be. He likes to. Put I, I took the, uh, in the a shipping container that's technically the sovereign soil of Egypt. <laughs> so <laughs> sovereign soil. Yeah, yeah it's Egypt. got like some special diplomatic immunity, so we can uh, electroshock, electroshock <laughs> therapy your balls. <laughs> I was the one that actually took the infamous photo of the uh, the hooded. <laughs> no, person. that's too far. I <laughs> know uh, it's too far. Uh, yeah, we shouldn't be making light of those atrocities committed by the United States. So. We, you know, we talked a lot about how points that you can connect to these voters and these individuals on, because mm-hmm. regardless of who wins the election, the Trumpists, the Trumpers, whatever the you want to call them, the, the Chuds, yeah. <laughs> they're not going away. They're not going anywhere. Yeah, they were here before Trump. They were. Do you guys not remember the Tea Party? <laughs> like, the Tea Party. They fucking, they've, been in, they've been in the wings for a while. Before they were the Tea Party, it was like Timothy McVeigh and the Ruby Ridge people. And before it was them, you know, like it was the fucking neocons out of the Chicago University. So, like, to act like these types of people that have just, like, you know, they just came out of the ground like fucking orcs. It, no, no, motherfucker. Like, historical materialism, goddammit. Brian is very good at relating political theory to uh, culture. I'm a nerd. What can I say? Yeah, I, I just, I, it goes over my head. Um, <laughs> you don't know what an orc is? He's very entertaining. No. I, he's, the orcs are the uh, the Lord of the Rings creatures, yeah, right? the corrupted elves. Are they the ones that are like, my precious? No, no. Okay. That's Gollum. Yeah. Yeah. No, the orcs were like the big dudes that they had to like dig out of the ground. Remember? I've never seen. I've never seen the entirety of any of the movies. What the fuck am I doing on this podcast? (laughs) I have nothing in common. (laughs) Yeah, I'm even more of a nerd than you because a lot of uh, you know American culture and stuff. I I'm woefully just just goes right more of a nerd because growing up, I tell a lot of people this like I wasn't really getting to watch cartoons or that stuff. There was one TV in my house and it didn't belong to me. Probably makes you a cool guy. I grew at nowadays it does. I was born woke, man. I was raised woke. Now, yeah, yeah, I just okay. had to watch, you know, news and everything growing up mm-hmm. with my uh, my grandfather. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you got a great education at your CIA facility. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and you know what else the CIA loves to do is pump money into Hollywood and provide vehicles and everything and for podcasts and podcasts <laughs> exactly. All right. 
So I'm going to do a separate episode just kind of addressing how best to actually have the conversation with people, some some techniques for communication based on my experience as a canvasser and organizer and my learning and studying of nonviolent communication techniques. You know, we have things to talk about to these Trumpers. And so we need to do a little mini episode on the mechanics and and what that looks like and how to go about it in a way that you actually be heard and connect with them. Um, So we've created the points. We're running out of time, unfortunately. Brian has some important organizing to be doing. Uh, Brian is an activist. He's doing a lot of really cool work here in Pittsburgh. Do you just want to overall just talk about some of the things that you're doing? With like, I, I don't want you dropping the names of organizations. <laughs> well, then I'm not going to talk about it. But just, you know, you told me that you're actually doing stuff that is great. You're helping people get unemployment benefits yeah, and we, things I like mean, that. Yeah, I mean, we have, doing the Soviet shit, we have un, unemployed, <laughs> Soviet work, we have unemployed <laughs> workers' councils. Like, that, we've organized them in a couple neighborhoods around Pittsburgh and in the greater, like, western PA area. Okay, and how, how would you say people have been receiving that? I mean, pretty good. Like, obviously, they, most people are just really interested in having, most people are just really interested in having the free help, uh, first and foremost. And, like, the free help and repeated interaction and consistency in the community uh, establishes like the foundation for mutual trust and when you have that sort of foundation for mutual trust people come and talk to you and when they come and talk to you i mean that's when you have a chance to like introduce the party analysis and the party line and i mean the benefit about being a communist is that we're <laughs> fucking right so like when you tell people that shit you are right wing leftist they recognize it as true and uh did you call me a fucking right wing leftist man <laughs> I cannot wait as hopefully many of you listeners yeah, what do kind of audience to actually get, I, I have no idea. So this is like nine, I need to, I need like to put a poll up. Nine people are going to be mad at me. Maybe. Given that I'm in the CIA, I need to really make sure I'm yeah, connecting with seriously. the entire audience <laughs> and actually, yeah. so I can, so I can reach them. Yeah, man. Um, be sure to send me your email addresses, phone numbers, everything else. So I can add you to the list. Okay. I'll let Private you do, satellite. Link, I'll leave. So. I'll leave and I'll let you do your debriefing to your handler. <laughs> Oh, can I plug my own thing? I was just going to get into that. <laughs> plug away. All right. Hey, so I'm an artist and I make art. And uh, you can sometimes look at that art at uh, Instagram at Brian Ganella is boring. Um, you're going to put this link stuff. I don't got to spell out my name, right? I'll figure out a way. Jesus Christ. I'll post it on the Instagram page. <laughs> right. I'm going to put you on blast. Yeah, but go. it has to be mutual. Mutual aid here. You yeah, have to yeah, put me yeah, on blast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll get in the stories. I don't know about a post. <laughs> We're a bunch of capitalists, anti-capitalists too. Uh, and also I have a podcast where I also talk largely about this stuff with another friend of mine. Um, and it's called uh, Everyone Sucks Here because, you know, yeah. Absolutely check yeah. it out. Yeah. He has a really great podcast with his co-host about cultural hegemony and false consciousness. That. It's not. Yeah. But I remember you related to all kinds of pop cultural ephemera and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. We're, I mean, we're just trying to, we're just trying to talk socialism in an everyday kind of way. That's yeah. It. That's the goal of the pod. Whether you're a socialist, whether you're an anarchist, whether you're a liberal, yeah. conservative, I mean, obviously I'm check trying, it out. I'm trying to sway it's, you over to my camp. It's a, like, it's a good yeah. podcast. It's, an, it's entry level shit. Entry level shit. For sure. So, Thank you, Brian Ganella, for being here. You're welcome. It is Brian Ganella's boring on Instagram. That's right. But he's never boring on the podcast. Nor am I. Was that good? Boring on Twitter. Did like I, comrade chat. Good. What? Yeah. Did that sound like a, yeah, a good, good radio guy? Yeah, that was good. Radio, radio guy thing? Yeah, radio guy. <laughs> okay, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening. All right, peace. And remember, I need, I need like a slogan or something.
Well, dude, you can't just, like, look at me and be like, <laughs> give me a slogan to end this in a nice fucking tidy way. The new thing is everybody that's on, you know, you're the first person on, so oh, right. I want you to, you want to come, I want you to come yeah. up with a little slogan. Workers make the world run, so workers should run the world. I'm out. Say that one more time. In the mic. Workers make the world run, so workers should run the world. I'm out. You guys in the CIA van outside got that? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Pages Against the Machine podcast. We open the podcast with Bleeding Magenta by the New Candies, and we close it with One Million by Nine Inch Nails. Until next time, Godspeed, you black and red emperors. Totalitarianism. Totalitarianism. Totalitarianism.